Amen. Amen. That was good. The old preacher would say, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John chapter 5. We took a little break from John. We're going to go back to John. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just can't get, can't get out of it. I've been studying a lot. There's just a lot. To, sometimes I think that I've said this before, and, and as we continue, even in the readings of whatever we read, one of the things the Lord has, has begun to teach me over the years is, if we already think we know what we're reading, we're going to read to that. <clears throat> and too many times we miss what he's trying to teach us today. I've, the Lord has, has taught me sometimes what I know hinders me from what I need to know. And so what I think I already know, <laughs> it hinders me from knowing what he's trying to show me now. And, um, and so and that's, that's, we all get there. We all are in that place. I'm, I'm, the, I'm not any different than anybody else. And and so, but we have to become teachable through these things. Um, so like I was telling Beth the other day, I said sometimes when we read John three sixteen, we know the end result of that. We know where that's going. So we'll read to that. And sometimes we miss a lot of the story around it or we'll miss before or after what he was trying to say. And so I think the Lord is just really trying to get his people to just kind of slow down and sometimes just read the text and read up to the scripture that we're looking at, read past it a little bit, kind of find out what's going on here. Um, too many times, too, I think we lose, and one thing I've been learning a lot is historical context of the story behind the scriptures of what's going on in that moment, in that time. And, and it's interesting because when you learn that, we in a, a American Western mindset, we don't connect a lot of times with an Eastern Mindset and most of the rituals and things were done out of an Eastern understanding of life and the way they approach the world. It's a lot different than the way we are in America. Um, we have certain words that are these words. Uh, the Hebrew language was first of all was a pictorial language, so you could look at it and see something that it represented, and then it had deep meanings to it, and so. A lot of the rabbis and people that would study, they would look at a word and they'd say, okay, this word means this. But then they would actually take the individual letters and say, this is what this letter means, this is what this letter means, and begin to f find deeper meaning into it. And so sometimes it had, there were layers of meanings and not just, this is the fact. And that's sometimes in America, we, give me the fact, that's what I want to look at. But we don't look at some time of the layers of different things going on and there's just a lot that the Bible is called the living word of God because I believe there's layers. There's, I'm a person, I'm a living person, but there are layers to my person, my personality, my physical makeup. You know, we, we know all that. Um, and so we have to begin to realize, too, that a lot of times in the book of John, we see a lot of, the, of Jesus speaking. And there's a lot of things that we've taken um, in the church today, we've taken as, well, this is what it was, and this is the way we go with it. But when you look at the historical context of what's being said, who it's being said to, and the purpose of it being said, we, we know this story. We're going to talk about the, the, the paralytic man healed at, at the pool. This is the story we're going to talk about. We, we know this, this, this story, so most of us will go, oh, okay, 
Jesus healed this man. He didn't have to get in the pool. But we're going to maybe dive a little bit deeper into this because you've got to realize when Jesus made the statement, uh, in the Gospels, Jesus made the statement that says, I've come, first of all, to the house of Israel. His main purpose and goal in preaching not wasn't necessarily preaching to you and I. We've got to first sometimes... A lot of what the Bible is speaking to wasn't written to you and I. That's kind of hard for people to say, oh, well, well. It, Jesus wasn't speaking to you and I. He was speaking to the house of Israel. And a lot of the things that we take on personally and take for our lives, well, Jesus said this, he was actually speaking to a very specific group of people. People that knew what he was talking about. Okay? This wasn't pagan people that didn't understand Jesus, and he's being, man, he's being kind of harsh on people who didn't understand. These people, they knew and they understood what he was talking about. And we're going to begin to find out in John chapter 5, we're going to dig a little deeper. Go, maybe go to a different uh, layer of some understanding here. In verse 5, chapter 1, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain time of the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Remember that word, 38 years, because that's going to be very important. But if we're just going to the story, sometimes we're going to overlook that part of it. Uh, now, how many of you know Jesus did things on purpose and with purpose? He didn't just by accident find a man that, oh, 38, that's kind of an interesting. Jesus probably went looking for that. Now, certain man, okay, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already had, had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, this is kind of an interesting story to ask somebody, do you want to be made well? It's kind of, it'd be amazed at how many people don't want to be made well. <laughs> right? So Jesus knows, he knows the hearts of man, he knows the condition of man, he asked him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, said, obviously I'm sitting here, <laughs> I'm at this well, I'm waiting for something to happen. But then he says, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. That's what got him in trouble, right? The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now look here. The religious said, I don't care if you've been healed. I know we've seen you there every day of this happening. And we was going to look past the miracle. We're going to look past the sign. Because we got to watch when the religious start looking for a sign. Remember they ask him all the time, show us a sign. By what signs do you do these miracles? By what signs? And Jesus refused to give them the sign on purpose, but he showed them signs all the time. They refused to see the signs that he was given. They said, now, do something special for us. It wasn't enough that he was healing. It wasn't enough that they knew who he was. He said, uh, it's not lawful for you to care. We've got to keep the rules. We've got to keep the rules here. If, we keep these, if these things be broken, then we're going to lose everything. Keep the rules. 
He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See you have... See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, we're going to stop right there for a moment. We're going to catch up. Now, if on surface, if you look at the scripture that was there, verse 14... Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Now, in our American minds, where it's like, you better walk straight. Because if you get back out there, you're going to get a worse disease and get worse than you were before. That's the way we think in America. We think very punishment-driven. We think tit for tat, right? We think, well, you do this, God's going to do this back to you just so you can even the playing field. But when you look here and you begin to understand the story and dig deeper into another layer of this, go back to verse 5. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Jesus' purpose, his preaching, his teaching, his goal was first to the house of Israel. Amen? So he was going to preach and teach to the house of Israel things that they needed to understand. Why 38? Why was, this, why was this such a significant thing? And if we, if we continue to read, we'll overlook 38. The Bible tells us that the, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but they sat stagnant for 38. And on 38 years is when they begin to move forward and begin to go back, because it says after 38 years, uh, after 38 years after the men of war had died, Then God says, begin to move and head towards your promised land. So here, this man has set stagnant, had set unable to do anything for 38 years. This is a representation of the children of Israel. They are a type and shadow, if you will. They were a type of the children of Israel. And Jesus is using this man as a point to show signs, a signpost to all those around. 38 years would have meant something to a Jewish person. The year 38, if you would have said the number 38, they would have immediately thought of 38 years they wandered. And on the 38th year, after all the men had died, they began to move to the promised land. 40 years together, but after 38 years, they began to move to a place that had been promised because all of that generation had been completely removed. Amen. Sometimes when culture takes place and things begin to shift, we want things to shift immediately and shift happen, but sometimes it will be from cult, it will be from generation to generation for a culture to shift and go into a completely different direction. And some people say, I heard some people would say, well, it's the old heads are holding things up. <laughs> The old, the old ways are holding things up. But if you live long enough, eventually that begins to come and new ways of thinking begins to happen. And so what we begin to see here, 38 years, that mentality of we can't, we're too scared. We can't go take the promised land. Right? We've seen great things, milk and honey, grapes, clusters the size of men. But there are giants in that land and we're grasshoppers compared to them. 
You're not going to get to go. You won't get to see. So 38 years. Now, so we begin this this story with a different mentality and a different understanding, a deeper looking at what Jesus was seeing. Jesus was was interested more in the, 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 the layers of things rather than just preaching the gospel to tell everybody they're wrong. Because he's wanting to restore not just Israel, but Jesus is there to restore mankind. Yes, he's preaching to the house of Israel, but his purpose is to bring Adam and Eve back into reconciliation with God. Amen. And so we see here, he, 38 years, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and this man had been longing to be healed. He'd been longing. He represented uh, uh, the children of Israel looking for the Messiah, waiting for some, some waters in their political and their uh, 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 physical culture to change. They, they had been stagnant. They hadn't been able to move, and, and maybe things hadn't been as, as, as good as they thought it could be. Jesus saw him. And he began to ask them, do you want to be made whole? See, a lot of times we preach about Jesus, but we don't preach the gospel Jesus preached. We preach the gospel of Jesus, but we don't preach the gospel he preached. That is the gospel message. Do you want to be made whole? We see today... People in in our society, uh, mental health is something huge. And we tell them, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to, yeah, I would if I could, but I'm hurting and I'm broke. And the question we should be asking is, do you want to be made whole? We preach, you got to get right. You need to, you need to, you you need to, you need to. But we need to be speaking, do you want to be made whole? Now, that's a, that seems like a silly question to ask people that are hurting. It'd be like somebody walking up with a broken leg and say, well, what you need to do is just get up and walk. Well, I would, but my leg's broke. The question is, is do you want me to fix that? Do, let, let me help you set that. Let me help you get help that you need to fix the internal problem so the outside will begin to show. A broken leg, a broken arm is an internal problem. It shows physically on the outside by the grimacing of the face or the pain or an arm that looks disfigured or something. That was happened an internal problem. You fix the internal problem, the external looks a lot better. Amen. And so we're too busy trying to fix the external things. Amen. We're too busy trying to fix all the things, cut your hair, do this, look like this, do this, fix this, drive this, do that. Instead of, do you want to be made whole? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. How many people would say, I I would, but I don't have a father to know how to figure this out. I don't have a mother to teach me anything. I don't have a family anymore. That's what we deal with in America. Well, these young men, they need to be doing this. They should, yeah, they should, but they don't have fathers teaching them how to do it. Well, young ladies should do this and they do, yes, but they don't have a mother or a father that is teaching them how to do it. You know why? Because more than likely their mother and father didn't have somebody to teach them. And it's a cycle that needs to be broken that the church has the answer. We have the question, do you want to be made whole? But if we don't watch ourselves, we will become like the Pharisees is, well, you can't do that. You can't do that on the Sabbath. You can't do it like that. You can't do it because it goes against everything that we've ever been taught. Well, thank God. And maybe if we do that, maybe we'll get something done. 
And he says here, he says, rise and take up your bed and walk. Now, we, now we begin to see that where, where, where there are people there that are waiting for somebody to dare them to change their life. There, there's people out there that are waiting for them, waiting for somebody to say, it's okay, be whole. If you want, if you're sick, then you can be made, you, they're looking for hope. In other words, they're looking for somebody to say there's hope for you to grab a hold of. There's hope for you to get, to get a hold of something. This, this last week is a third person that, that, that Beth and I are connected to that has committed suicide. A grown man, an adult, had committed suicide because he felt like there was no hope. And my question is, 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 what are we asking him? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want hope? Can you, can you, can you stand to have hope in your life? Can, do you want peace in your heart? Do you want this, not this? You need to do this better. You need to do that better. Well, I know I do. You ask anybody. Most people tell you, I know I'm not perfect. And I don't know how to be perfect. Well, I'm not telling you to be perfect. I'm asking you, do you want peace? Do you want to sleep at night? Do you want to quit being bothered in your mind? Do you, do you feel like you're separated? Do you feel down? Are you feel horrible about yourself? Because this is not the attributes of God. This is the steal, kill, and destroy. But the word of God, Jesus Christ, came that you may have life and life more abundantly. Will you be made whole? Rise up and take, your, take up your bed and walk. It's that easy. One of them said, how can you do this? And Jesus made the statement. He said, is it easier for me to say your sins be forgiven or take up your bed and walk? Because to me, it's the exact same thing. Salvation and healing is the exact same thing. It comes from the exact same place. It comes from the exact same heart of Jesus Christ. Is that I love you and I've come to heal you, to, to give you life and life more abundantly. It's the exact same heart. Immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed, walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who, who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, Who who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Now remember, remember, he's not talking to me and you. He's talking to that man, but specifically, even more, he's talking to the children of Israel, the house of Israel. He's saying there is a new thing that's coming happen. There's a, the kingdom of heaven is coming, but watch out that you don't leave. You don't leave Christianity and go back to what you came out of. Now, we got to understand this for a moment. When Christianity showed up on the scene and Jews began to be saved, people like Paul began to be saved, when they stepped out of everything they had ever known, everything that they had ever known in their life with Paul, it was his academic life, it was his political life, it was his status in life. He stepped away from that and stepped into Christianity they excommunicated him from everything he had ever known. Now, you, you, you fast forward that for a few years whenever the Romans began to take over the city of Israel and before and during the, 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 uh, the, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, there was a separation that began to happen between Jews and Christians. At one time, they worshipped in the same synagogue. 
But the pressure came from the Roman, the Roman government that said, if you are converting people to Judaism, because at that time, Christians and Judaism, they didn't make any difference between them. If you do that, you'll be put to death. And if you do that, Jews, you will not be allowed to worship anymore. Your Jewish, the temple system will be done with. And so they begin to push Christians out of the synagogue and separate themselves and say, we are not a part of that anymore. Then they begin to say that you're one of those Jesus followers. So when, when Paul says, do not go back into the sin that so easily besets you, he wasn't talking about drinking. He wasn't talking about pornography. But what he was talking about was, I am a Christian, I believe in Jesus. But to go back to Judaism was not just, oh, I switched churches. To go back to Judaism was meaning that I have renounced Jesus Christ. You see, this is a huge issue for Christians. This is a huge issue between two people. This wasn't just two, oh, we believe the same thing, we just go to different churches. It was the issue of Christ being the Messiah. Either you became a Christian, and we had this word backsliding. Backsliding was not, I just quit going to church. We made that very casual of, you quit coming to my church, so you're a backslider. Backsliding was, I was a Christian, I believed in Jesus Christ, the man who died upon a cross, he rose again on the third day, the very foundations and fundamentals of salvation, versus I've backslid back into a culture that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ anymore. This is an issue. And Jesus said, be sure that you don't, you, you've been healed and you've made whole. Do not convert anymore. Don't go back to that place or something worse will come upon you. And Jesus was actually predicting in this moment the destruction of the temple of 70 AD. So you look this deeper than just what we've made it. We've made it, oh, you don't sin because you, you had a sniffle nose. You had something. Better not sin no more. Better not have no bad thought. Why? Because worse things are going to come back up on you. Jesus wasn't talking about that. But he was talking about you're stepping into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am Christ, the Messiah. And you're going to find out here in just a moment. It, uh, uh, after they begin to get in, he says, worse things come upon you in verse 15. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now we're going to fix and find out why it was such an offense to them to do things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now watch this. The rabbis taught that nobody was supposed to work on the Sabbath, but the only person that could work on the Sabbath was God. And they had three things that they said, because we realize that sometimes it rains on the Sabbath. Well, we know rain comes from God. Sometimes there is childbirth that happens on the Sabbath. We know that the birthing and life is given from God. So therefore, God works on the Sabbath. He's the only one that can do miracles and create on the Sabbath. We also know that there's been times where people have died 
on the Sabbath. They believed that God had a hand in death. And when it was time to call them home, he brought them home. So three things that they said establishes that God worked on the Sabbath. And when Jesus made the statement, this is who he's talking to. He's talking to the rabbis, those who have come up with these ideas and these thoughts about who God was. And when Jesus said, my father has been working until now and I am working now. And I have been working right now. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because not only did he break the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father making himself equal to God. My father's working and I'm working. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The only person that can work on the Sabbath is God through rain, through birth, and through death. Jesus said, I healed on the Sabbath. My father's working and I'm working. See, Jesus, we don't realize until you begin to look at this and really study this out, Jesus intentionally got himself killed. He intentionally went and picked a fight. He intentionally went and he knew, if you look at it, Jesus tells him from the very beginning, I'm going to die. (laughs) Well, now why, Jesus? Because you don't realize that what I'm about to start teaching is going to get me killed. You mean salvation and healing and deliverance? That's going to get you killed? No, that's not going to get me killed. That's going to draw people. They're going to love the signs and wonders. But what's going to get me killed is my father has been working and I've been working too. Wait a minute. You're equal with God? You're the son of God? We can't handle that because you can't be the son of God. Why? Because you come, you're that carpenter's son. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son." Read that again. The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That scripture right there will take care of a lot of about 85% of preaching today in America. The Father has committed judgment to who? The Son. And what does Jesus say on the cross? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. (laughs) That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those hear and those who hear will live. Listen to that. The hour is coming and now is. I want to stop right there and we're going to, we're going to stop there. The hour is coming and now is. Is a term, Jesus made this statement a couple of times, the woman issued, the day is coming and now is the day. When you worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The hour is coming and now is. There is a coming and there is a now. There is on its way and there is now. The kingdom is here and it's on its way. Amen. The kingdom has shown up. 
It is here, it's working, and it is continually on its way. In my life, it showed up, it's glorious, it's saved, and it's becoming more and more in my life. Yes, I have access to the whole thing, but as I walk it out, I receive more and more understanding of what's around me. Amen? Now we look. Last week, we we made a statement. We had talked about the pictures that they're getting from the new telescope, and they're seeing lots of things right now that they haven't seen before. Now we're seeing it. But, But Jack made the statement is these new stars that we're seeing are not new stars. They were started billions of light years ago. And we are just now coming up to it. So those stars have been and now they are. Amen. They were spoken. It almost feels like when Jesus said, let there be light. We're still seeing the effects of that. We're still seeing those stars being created that they were, some of them had been destroyed. Some of them had had not even existed anymore, but we're seeing them now. And so it makes you begin to look at this. The hour is coming and now is. In the ancient church, they had a saying here already and now already. In other words, the kingdom is, is on its way. It's here and it's coming. I both live in I'm satisfied, but I'm not content yet. I'm satisfied, but I'm not there. Paul says, I have not grasped a hold of it. I do not claim to have have everything, but I'm pushing and I'm pressing toward the mark of the high calling. I know I've been saved. I know I've been set free, but there's still more that I'm looking for. There's still more that he's showing me. Sometimes I don't even know that I'm looking for it. I'm just walking and he's revealing and I'm growing and I'm growing. The hour is coming and now is the time. Listen to this. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I want to read you something. This is a book I've been studying about the book of John. Talking about the Sabbath day, because that was the issue, the Sabbath day. How many of you, sometimes, like I said, when you, when you read through things, you just read through things sometimes. Maybe many of you heard the statement on the Sabbath day? The Sabbath day is, is made for rest, right? We know that. There's this huge argument. What day, this day, that day. I heard someone say, well, when God rested, he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested. Why? Because he was finished. Right? It's interesting when you look at the story of Jesus Christ and the death, the burial, and the resurrection. If you look at the death and the burial, he was buried buried before the Sabbath. Because they didn't want him left hanging. The Bible tells us they didn't want him left hanging during the Sabbath. They took him down, they put him in the grave, and Jesus lay in the grave on the Sabbath. Why did he lay there? Because he was tired? Because it was finished. His last words was, into your hands I commit my spirit, it is finished. (laughs) And he said, let me rest for a little bit. Amen. Now, the eighth day, which is the new day. The new creation, the, uh, the Hebrews speak, or the church speaks of the eighth day resurrection, the day of resurrection. It says here in John, those who hear will live. For as my father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. 
Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, I want to read this to you right here. Um, it says, Adam and Eve's decision, it's going to be quite a bit of reading, so hang on, but it gets good. Adam and Eve's decision to choose the visible world over the visible, invisible kingdom of God created an ontological paradigm shift. The resurrection of Jesus created an alternative ontological paradigm shift, restoring mankind to restoring mankind the opportunity to live in the world of life. The resurrection is the judgment of the world. The world of death has been judged by the sons trampling down death by death and bestowing life to those willing to receive it. The resurrection is the eighth day of creation. This is the eschatological day of the Lord. Um, it is the Lord's day. Here already, now already, the eschatological day of the Lord has occurred. The four, the hour is coming in which we all who are in the graves will hear his voice of the, um, of the Jewish second version has become, has become, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live, of the, will, will live. An ontological paradigm shift has occurred. We have passed from death into life. Now listen to this. Today is the day of resurrection, O nations. Let us shine forth for the Pascha or the Passover is the Pascha of the Lord and that Christ did make us pass from death to life, from earth to heaven. Let us cleanse our senses that we may behold Christ shining like lightning with the unapproachable light of resurrection that we may hear him say openly, rejoice. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad as is meet and let the whole world visible and invisible feast for Christ has risen to everlasting joy. The third day resurrection is the eighth day of creation. It is the day of the Lord, the Lord's day. It is the day without sunset, without night. In truth, how noble is the radiant and all festal night of salvation. For it precedes the proclamation of the light-bearing day of resurrection, in which the timeless light did shine forth bodily from the grave. Here already, now already, the third day resurrection is the eighth day of creation. Verily, this day which is called holy is the first day among Sabbaths, their king and lord. It is the feast of feasts, the season of seasons. Come, let us on this famous day of resurrection participate in the kingdom of Christ and in the new fruit of the vine, which is for divine rejoicing. Here already, now already, on the eighth day of creation, the kingdom has come. The earth is a new heaven. There is a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, the church. Shine, shine, O new Jerusalem. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. Rejoice and exult now, O Zion, and thou, O pure one. Rejoice in the resurrection of your son. In the resurrection of Christ, the kingdom has come. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The day of the new creation has dawned. A day which knows no night, O Christ, the perfect, the perfect, most exalted Pascha. O wisdom of God, his word and his power grant us that we may partake of thee more perfectly in thy kingdom's day which setteth not. The third day resurrection is the eighth day of creation. Hades is dispelled. 
Adam is recalled from the dead. The curse is made void. Eve is set free. Death is slain. And we are endowed with life. Adam's paradigm shift to death has been reversed by Christ's paradigm shift to life. Christ has opened us unto us the graves, the gates of paradise. We now stand where Adam and Eve once stood in the paradise with the choice between life and death. The eschatological day of the Lord has come. The eschatological day of the Lord is here. Here already, now already, the kingdom has come. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is the power that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the message that he preached that you and I now carry in our DNA, in our spirit, and in our soul. That when we leave here, that we have the ability, the power to ask people, will you be made whole? By what power and authority does that give you? You have the power to say that. By the power of the risen Christ that is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. And he has sent me. He has, he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to share the message, to tell people, you have the power. You now have access to healing and to, 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 be, to be free from hurt and broken and all kinds of crazy mindsets. You now have that power will you be made whole and like the 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 children of israel in that day jesus is preaching i believe jesus is right now in in america is talking to the church we're coming up with all kinds of rules and regulations and why we can't have revival why we can't see a move of god why we can't do this and why we won't do this and jesus never got into that resurrection he said i'm just doing what the father told me to do I'm just doing what I see the Father to do. You can't do this because we have rules and regulations. We have a certain ways we do things here. And Jesus bypassed all of that, and he went to the people. He went to the pool. Will you be made whole? Israel, you've already, you've already done this once. You went 40 years without being in the promised land, and here I am showing up the actual promise himself. Will you miss me, or will you grab a hold of me? Because if you miss me, it's going to be a whole nother generation. Now you look. In AD, when Jesus started his ministry, and, and he was 30 years old when he started his ministry. And if you look, the destruction of the temple happened in 70 AD. That's 40 years. That's a whole generation that was begin to begin before the destruction began to happen. You want to go around this again for 40 years? Or do we want to rise up right now and grab a hold of the things that God has for us? Do we want to rise up right now, here already, now already, the kingdom of God is here. The eighth day resurrection, the, day, the eighth day of creation, the resurrection of Christ is powerful. It's alive and it's here and it's now. Those who hear my voice, those who hear my voice, he's talking about, Jesus is talking about those who hear now. And we begin to see Jesus here, and the, the, the church teaches of a further day resurrection, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about those that are dead right now are going to hear. Those that don't know, they don't hear, they don't have hope, they're going to hear hope. Will you be made whole? It's a very powerful. I've often said, and I'm learning this. I've, I've, I, I 
preach things, not just to get on to people. But I preach things to myself. I've learned is, is the church has gotten really good at the message that Jesus and John the Baptist preach. Repent. We like that one. But I've, I, have, I haven't heard very many pastors follow it up with, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here already, now already, working in this world of, of, of death and hurt and pain is an alternative kingdom that you can grab a hold of that is life and life more abundantly. Repent. Change the way you're thinking about God. Why? So I can go to, I can go to heaven someday? Well, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. Matter of fact, that's not even 90% of it. 90% of it is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For now, for this moment, for you to be cleansed and for you to be washed and for you to be healed in your mind and your body and for you to have hope in this life. It's becoming more and more real to me as I'm driving. I had to do a lot in Tulsa this week. Or Friday I did a route in Tulsa. It was raining. It rained a lot in Tulsa. And I was blown away at the people that were just walking around. It reminded me of the old song, I Wandered So Aimless, Life Filled With Sin. And I, it came to my mind, that's an old song, and I enjoy it. And we sing it, kind of snigger, because I always think of that when I hear it. It was always this real southern accent when they sang it. But I thought these people were aimlessly walking. They have no, they're not... They're not aiming at anything. And I told Beth, I said, I've seen for a while people walking around Tulsa and even in some of these smaller communities that I'm going to around about a 400-mile circle that I'm traveling, but I've noticed there's something that's, that's the same in every community that I see more and more often. I see people that were wandering around and didn't have much to do. We've seen that for years. But at an alarming rate, but Ronnie, what I'm noticing is people that are not just high, but out of their mind high, walking around. Just not even like, and I, and, and I know there's a big people, there's a lot of people look at them and go, but I'm, I, I, my heart goes out to them. My heart goes out to them as like, who's, that's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's mom, that's somebody's sister, that's somebody's dad, whatever, that's somebody's relative, somebody loves them. And we look at it and we want to, we want to look down and say, they need to, they need to. Yeah, they probably do. But my thing of it is, is why are they there? And they're wondering. And I, this is something else too. The Bible says to shod yourself with the gospel of peace. I've seen so many people walking around with no shoes on. And I've seen it as a significance, as, as a sign. I was like, I was like God, that was, it blows me away, just things you notice of people with no shoes and I'm just like, why are they don't have, why don't, where's their shoes? They don't have shoes. And that's the one thing the Lord showed me was he began to say, he says, this is a generation that hasn't been taught to shod themselves with the gospel of peace, the gospel of salvation, the gospel that is coming, that we put something on our feet to walk. No matter what, when I look at that and I see that it, it makes me begin to realize as much as we think that we've got going, we've still got work to do. We've still got a message to preach. And getting that person a pair of shoes is not the end all. Matter of fact, it may just be the beginning of the relationship the church could walk with them. It could all start, maybe just a pair of shoes. 
Maybe that person might be so high that they don't know where they're at. When they come to themselves, they're going to look at their feet and say, where did I get these shoes? But I believe that the power of God and the Holy Spirit is so powerful that it'll bring back a remembrance. It'll bring back to something that the acts of kindness and the acts of love, that the church, we need to begin to, to, to walk in. Again, preaching to myself. I'm, I'm beginning to ask myself these questions. What am I doing with this? What am I doing? Repent. Yeah, that's great. But the, gospel, but the, but the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here it's accessible. It's reach out and grab a hold of it. Sometimes I, I minister to people who didn't know what to do, didn't know how to do it. I said, just grab a hold of my hand. <laughs> just touch me because I know it's in me. I know it's flowing through me. And I can't explain, but just grab a hold of my hand. And they'll grab a hold of my hand. And it's, it's like, <laughs> and what was that? That's the kingdom of God. I can't explain. I don't know what it is, but that's the kingdom of God. I like that. <laughs> that felt peaceful. Here already, now already, operating in this world that we see, all the darkness, all the things, everything that we see is the kingdom of God moving steadily. It's, it's wooing, it's calling. I, I hate to say this, but our churches in America have gotten all about conquering and power. The kingdom of God is not going to come upon people conquering them. I have an issue with Christians that want to argue. Because the gospel is not built off of an argument. Jesus didn't ask the woman at the well questions because she wanted to argue. He asked her because he began to ask the questions that pierced the heart. He began to ask the questions that was more about just what I see on the surface, but I want to deal with the very issue that you're dealing with. kingdom of heaven is coming it, it, it comes in and there's, 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 there's scriptures where it talks about it coming in like a, a, a flood tide there's coming in and we're going to be this great wave and we're going to be these warriors and we're going to be this and we're going to do that and, 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 and maybe so but the gospel of Jesus was not that gospel of Christ is, is where have your accusers gone because every person every sinner that we know Every person that you can think of in your mind, that person is the worst sinner I've ever known. They have plenty of people accusing them. But how many people in their lives are saying, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it? Do you want to be made whole? Gospel of, of the kingdom of God will come in a peaceful way. And yes, I believe that it will conquer the world. It will take over the world, but it will not overtake it will consume. It was like, well, that's the same thing. But if I consume something, I believe God is saying, I want to consume from the inside out. I've heard preachers say, if you can argue somebody into the kingdom, they can be argued out. But if you love somebody in the kingdom, if you give somebody an experience, you give somebody a touch, and you let them know that the presence of God is real, no argument can come against an experience. We as the church have got to ask ourselves, are we, are we really good at arguing people into the kingdom? Are we really good at showing them all the scriptures and everything into the kingdom? Because if we're that good, somebody can argue them out. Then we, can, then we have the excuse, well, they wasn't really a part of us. 
But we offered no experience. We offered no kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's only head knowledge. It's only head understanding. And sometimes in life, our understanding begins to change. And in that understanding of things beginning to change, how powerful is the experience, how powerful is the relationship with God that I can stay true. My family has been through a lot. We knew each other. We know each other. But over the years, our understanding of each other has changed. And if it had been anybody else, I would have walked away from them. But the experience that I've had with brothers and sisters and moms and dads, aunts and uncles, we may fight, we may fuss, we may get mad at each other to the point sometimes of wanting to throw fists, but I can't walk away because there's a connection and there's a spirit there. And there was a relationship there. Right now we see deconstructing happen. That word is happening. And the church is blown away by it. They're just attacking these people. They should, they should, they should. Yeah, but you've offered no relationship. You've only offered rules and regulations and morals and ethics. You have not offered an experience. You have not asked him, do you want to be made whole? You said, have you confessed? And have you done this? And have you done that? But have you said, have you experienced him? They've repented, but there's been no evidence of the kingdom of God in their life. God, forgive us, God. God, forgive me, God, Lord. God, forgive me for the things that I've done, and God, for the things that I've left undone, God. Forgive me, God, Lord. For not loving the way you love, God. Forgive me, God, for seeing people through my eyes, God, and the way the world sees them, and not through yours, God. God, let us, my heart be cleansed. Let my mind be cleansed. Let my eyes, God, no longer see men as men and people as people. But God, let me see them, God, as you see them, God. God, that we may reach, God. God, let us even more become in love with the gospel, of would you be made whole? That he's here and he's now. Let us fall in love with the words that my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, Lord. And I will give you rest, God. God, let this be the heart of the church, God. Lord, let this be the heart, God, of, of a wave, God, of, 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 of people sharing the gospel, of preaching and teaching and reaching the world around us, God, is he will give you rest. Uh, we thank you, God. We pray for that to happen in the lives of the people around us, God, the way that it's happened in our lives, God. You've given us rest. You've given us mercy and grace and salvation and healing, God. You restored us, God. You put us back together, God. You, Lord, the, the psalmist says you restore my soul. God, you anoint my head with oil and our cup runs over, God. Our prayer is, God, Lord, that, that, that the world around us would experience you the way we've experienced you, God. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, God, for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's at the right hand of the Father now, making intercession. God, Grant us wisdom, when to speak, when not to speak. Grant us strength to carry on and to move and do the things that you've called us to do.
God, we thank you for all that you are doing, God, in the city of McAllister, in southeast Oklahoma, and in individual lives within these communities, God. Thank you for what you're doing and what you're teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good word. I was reminded of something the first time I was ever asked to preach. My sermon was, the time is, and the time has now come. That was my sermon. <laughs> the time is, we heard it this morning, is, and the time has now come. Amen. Praise God. God is very good. Amen. Bonnie's going to lead us. I'd like to say, as, as you started, Brent, I heard God speak that he said it wasn't by the law, and it's not by power, and not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And that is, that is what he's showing us. It's his spirit, he's showing me that his spirit is nothing more nothing less than his love. And until we learn that, we ain't got it, do we? And I think we're learning it every day. So, it says, as he is given back to the Lord a portion of what he has given us, we declare that he teaches us to profit and leads us in the way we should go. The Lord gives us power to make wealth and supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory. They locked up. So as we pray for Israel, of Jerusalem, blesses us, the way becomes known on the earth and a salvation among all nations. So Lord, we are believing you for jobs and better jobs, for raises and bonuses, for debts paid off and transfers of wealth, for angelic visitations, our that's full and our cabinet's full of gold. Increase, <laughs> blessings increase. Sims open, earth invaded. Signs, wonders, and angelic visitations. Come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We forgive you. Co-labors with and see Jesus get his full reward. Amen. Thank you, John.